Hey there, I'm Mason Pasha, and today I'm thrilled to be joined for a second time on the podcast by Jason Cummins. Jason, for those who haven't had the pleasure of hearing his first episode, uh, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Jason Cummins. I'm a member of the Absalagan Nation. We're located in South Central Montana. My real name is Awajirgada, and I'm Belachbachdashdesh. So I'm a member of the Sorlip clan, and I'm from Lodgegrass, Montana, and more specifically, Binneda, which is a area between the Bighorn Mountains and Lodgegrass. So those of you from my area, you know where that's at, and lived in Bapua for quite a while. So happy to be here on the show again. How are you doing, Mason? I'm great. I'm great. Just thrilled to have you on here. It's been a long time coming, so glad we're glad we're making it happen. Uh, on the previous episode, you joined your co-author, Mike Rule, to discuss a book that the two of you co-authored, uh, and it really focuses on taking inspiration from the medicine wheel to inform the design of a school wellness wheel, um, and I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes so anybody who's hasn't heard that yet can go back. I think it's a really timely school uh, model or a model for how to do school, especially after the pandemic, and there's some states and a lot of schools currently who have adopted that as their way to do school. And that's exciting work. And especially after the pandemic, I think a lot of people were woken up that, you know what, um, schooling needs to be more um, humane. Students are not just a reflection of their literacy and reading scores, but they're human beings with dreams, goals, ambitions. And they come to school with all their mother's and father's love or grandma and grandpa's love. And we need to start treating students as such, and we need a model of school that um, addresses the humanity that our students have. So I'm excited about that work. I'm excited that a lot of districts are implementing that as their school model. So yeah, awesome. That's so awesome. Um, a while back on a previous conversation we had, you told me the story of the the Crow people uh, and their relationship specifically to education. And I was hoping you'd tell me again uh, for our listeners. I, I w- <clears throat> It's my understanding of it, and I I know a lot of your indigenous um, people that who have come on the podcast have qualified their statements as they don't speak for the whole tribe, and um, I'm the same way. I speak from my understanding. I'm open to um, learning more, and I don't pretend to speak on behalf of my tribe or anything, but from my under my own understanding. So, but I think that we were very fortunate that we had leadership that looked ahead not saying others didn't but our leadership actually really um would think about their great grandkids and great great grandkids and that's the way we think about you know our community and when the um there was a uh, the boarding schools were horrible boarding schools are bad and you can see the report that was released by you know the department of interior rather than continue to allow students to be sent away to boarding school, there was leadership um, in our community. And there were still a lot of people who went through the bad times. I'm not saying it didn't happen, you know, and I'm not trying to downplay that at all. It was freaking horrific and disgusting what had happened to, you know, a lot of communities and I feel for them, but we had people that chief plenty who, approached the Catholics and said, if you give us a day school, I'll let you have a church here. 
And then we had um, Chief Pretty Eagle who approached the Catholics and said, if you give us a day school in this community, I'll let you put a church here. And then we had um, White Arm and One Goose, like in the Lajgrass area, who approached the Baptists and said, hey, if you put a day school here, will you have a church? And so we had this leadership who had heard about day schools where kids could go to school and then go home afterwards. They didn't have to be shipped off on the train. And so they had embraced education pretty early and attempted as best as they could to influence that education. And um, a lot of the, I think the first educators who came really realized that they were guests in our area and it wasn't always perfect. It wasn't um, ideal, but um, we were able to retain a lot of our language and culture. We're still in a, in a um, very cautious time right now because while 50% of our tribe is fluent, the majority of the fluent people are over 40. So we're, we're in a time right now where we're working to revitalize our language and wake up our culture. And you ever watch that documentary, Exterminate the, All the Brutes? No, I have not seen that. <laughs> it's a good documentary. I recommend it. And so it's okay. U.S. history, but it's from the viewpoint of Native Americans and African Americans. It's called Exterminate All the Brutes, and it's um, real-life history. But there's an infographic in there in one section that shows the continent of like colonialism and expansion. And the last area in the continent that is really exposed to, um, I guess, American-European culture is um, where I am right now, south-central Montana. Oh, wow. Northern Wyoming. So Wow. I'll definitely drop a link to exterminate all the brutes in the uh, in the links. That sounds really powerful. But back to education, there's indigenous indigenous scholar Lanny Rilbird. Um, he talks about the same way we adopted the horse previously, and we used it to improve our lives. Let's take let's um, gain control of these public schools in our home communities, and make them beneficial for our lives. And so he encourages that, and I think. Um, We've tried to do that, not just me, but a lot of others, principals before me, where let's um, take leadership in our schools and um, dictate curriculum, dictate programs and practices. And that That is an incredible story of leadership and uh, sort of where it's been. I, I'm, I'm super curious how you feel like the leaders of the, the Crow people specifically have kind of continued to look forward, uh, maybe with regards to education specifically. I think just realizing that we had our own education systems, whether it was the sweat or our different types of um, ways, you know, our Ajmalechia, that's our clan system, and that's the foundation of our whole education system, uh, the Sundance or NAC meetings. So we had our own education systems or ways to teach how to live, how to respect how to um, interact with the world and looking at the Western education system the same way, although we didn't realize the simulative harmfulness that was in there at the time, well, yeah. we've, we've noticed it now and um, have tried to continue to address that. But um, in regards to leadership, there's, I'd, I'd like to say that there's different forms of it, whether it's in music or uh, cultural stuff or in school 
usually people only think about political leadership. Right. But um, for me, my view of leadership comes from family and from um, tradition and, you know, reading about the old chiefs and um, the old way of becoming a leader was um, somebody had to prove themselves. In the Absalagad tribe, they had to um, accomplish four different war deeds. And when you could accomplish this and demonstrate your your fearlessness or demonstrate your courage or demonstrate your capacity to do this for the community, then you could be a leader. And... Um, when somebody could demonstrate that and actually do it and practice it, uh, it was like, it was different than today. And somebody told me that once that nowadays people have figured out, you know, politics and they know how to get votes and they know how to you know, look at polls and all that. And then when they get into that position, they think the respect comes with it automatically, but that's not true. You have to demonstrate by your life. And by the way you carry yourself and by the way you treat others, that's leadership. And um, sometimes it will translate into a position. And then indigenous leadership, and like, again, I'm not speaking for all or not even for my tribe, but sometimes it's just for a specific purpose or a specific role or, or a time. And then when that's done, you know, that, that, whether it's a right or a, or, or a doing, when that's done, then you're a member of the community again. And being connected to the community in a healthy way is probably more important than any of the other stuff. And if yeah. that makes sense. You, I, I, it does, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, do you know, Like, I feel like within uh, Western society specifically, there's sort of this uh, maybe incorrectly attributed model of value on roles in society. So like teachers aren't, don't have a ton of respect as like a trade or as a role. Um, and like caretaking tends to not be respected in the same way as somebody who is, uh, in business or a leader in that context. I'm, does that, have you seen that kind of mirror within your own society or is that pretty, pretty dissimilar? No, I would think it's a bit dissimilar because you know, like, I would just say those views that you just mentioned are probably money-centric views. For sure. You know, a society that values money above all is kind of has those views sometimes, it seems to me. And But then, like, in a lot of our communities, the teacher does have the stable income. So they are the one person who has, <laughs> who uh, students think is rich where we yeah. know that's not that's not true as compared to other professions but sometimes you know in our communities maybe the healthcare or the um, government or education is the only stable jobs in the whole community I think I want to pivot a little bit here uh for listeners of the podcast we've we've done a lot of content around the subject of difference making in the last few years which is sort of our take on um, trying to act in a way that you think makes the world a better place to be for some people. Um, and so it really has to do with change making and um, kind of informed by the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. It's sort of these actions towards um, change in a positive way. And I, I think that 
one of the terms that we've used throughout that process is mutuality, right? Like it's this notion of we're all in this together. Uh, there's really not a ton of decisions you can make that won't have uh, impacts on others around you. And I know, uh, Jason, we've talked about this before, and I think the term that you tend to use is relationality. Um, would you mind giving like a little bit more context and color to that term? For my tribe, we were very fortunate in our school, one of our schools where we taught every single student um, their clan, you know, what their clan identity was and how they were related to every student in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And um, within our, our clan system, we have those you respect or have siblings and those you can joke and tease with, which we call teasing clan. And so when we were able to teach kids where they fit in their world, it was really helpful. And it really helped them foster positive behaviors and teaching kids there's a difference between teasing and having fun and bullying, you know? And Because um, right. some people think now that all teasing is bullying, and that's not true, you know? Good friends, we like to laugh and tease with each other, you know? For sure. But um, and realizing that as an um, Indigenous person, your identity is bound up not just in yourself, but your family. Right. And I remember a lot of times when I was a kid, people would say, um, who's your folks? Or, you know, who's your grandma? And when I would tell them who my family was, then they could place me and find, okay, there's where he belongs in our community. Hmm. And they knew who I was. Versus, I think a lot of times, um, in, uh, and I'm generalizing, I understand that, of course, but in Euro American culture, identity is bound up in individualism. Yeah, like, right. I'm a lawyer, I'm a lawyer, or I'm an engineer, or I'm in the trades, versus um, when somebody asks me or somebody, who are you? We, I, oh, there's my dad, there's my uncles, there's my grandma, you know, who I am right. is created from my family. And so you want to do things right and you want to carry yourself in a way that makes your family feel good. Because if you do something good, it it reflects on them. Do you think that that sort of um, identity like sort of implies more localized action rather than this sort of like more change the world like i used quotes because it's not my favorite phrase but uh yeah. like do, do you think it does imply localized versus global or not so much i think it i really don't know it could be it's i it's ideal i know i'm idealizing and it's like it's not that you've achieved but it's something you want to strive for strive strive yeah. towards but um a lot of us do live in different worlds don't we for sure. We live in different cultures and live in different worlds. And if we've never left our background, we, we think the whole world looks like ours. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I guess thinking back to what's our sphere of influence. I'm thinking out loud now, but what's our sphere of influence? Right. You know, if we can change our world as we know it, if we look at it from the framework of what's our sphere of influence. I think we all have influence and in some sphere. And if we can do our best to um, address that, you know, we'll be fulfilled. We'll be, we'll feel, you know, successful or useful. And rather than thinking, oh man, 
I can't change climate change, so it's hopeless and I suck, you know. <laughs> Just feeling <laughs> feeling overwhelmed with these big giant issues. But what yeah. issues can we can we address? You know, we might not be able to take over the uh, run the whole school district, but heck, I can show up to um, parent teacher night and be responsible for my student, and I can um, set aside a place at home for my student to do their homework and make sure it's quiet for them. And you know what I mean. And, totally. Um, and like anything else in life, we can grow. You know that sphere of influence definitely can increase, and that's that's the truth of it. Just like lifting weights or doing push-ups, you might start out with five, and pretty soon you're on fifty. <laughs> yeah. But you got to be faithful in what you got. You know, if you don't take care yeah. of what you got, you, know, you ain't going to be given no more. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. I I wish that we had the proper um, terms and honestly, just avenues within society to celebrate those smaller sphere of influence victories. Like, I I don't feel like they get the amount of time they deserve in the spotlight or just even in conversation. So that's a, that's true. That's a goal for sure. Um, I, on the subject of sphere of influence, um, just wanted to say congratulations on your very lengthy title um, which is the deputy director of the White House Initiative on Advancing Educational Equity, Excellence, and Economic Opportunity for Native Americans and Strengthening Tribal Colleges and Universities. Yeah, thank that's a mouthful. You. But um, I I usually write down the White House Initiative on then I go dot 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 Native Americans. Dot, <laughs> dot, dot. Yeah, but it's um just a lot of great people I'm going to get to work with, and um, I'm excited because um, this is stuff that been working on for years whether it's on um, language revitalization culturally responsive teaching and just impacting schools for native kids and um me and me and my wife are both graduates from tribal college here at little bitcoin college and crow agency and to be able to assist our um, tribal colleges and universities uh, across the nation I, i'm excited to be able to do that that's awesome. So you alluded to a couple things that have just sort of been um, kind of like things you've been fighting for for a while. Are there p- particular elements that you would really love to see uh, get more momentum sort of in your time serving in this role, uh, whether that be conversations or policy or anything like that? For me, as a tribal member, a parent, grandparent, you know, and an educator, I would really like um, state education agencies and local schools to begin to hear the native indigenous voice. That's what um, I would really like. A lot of times local schools will have like an Indian parent committee, have the meeting, yet they only have that committee to access federal funding. And a lot of our Indian parents, I'm concerned, are never addressed. And so a lot of those meetings are, and I'm not saying all schools do this. Some schools do a really good job at at um, taking Indian parent concerns seriously and um, changing school practice. And we need to learn from those schools who do that in an effective way. But in my experience, I've seen some schools that don't. And it's um, really disheartening, especially in Montana, where you have like the school-to-prison pipeline the ACLU released a disparate discipline report that showed um, 
Native Americans are disciplined at a disproportionately higher level than um, non-Natives. When I seen that report years ago, we changed our school practices immediately because that's what we're supposed to do when we get data, right? Change practice. Yeah. We want a school to be a place of healing and restoration and empowerment and rather than punishment. I think that something that you said that was important and is like kind of a easy to miss subtlety is when, when just creating like the space is not necessary. That is not hearing people. I've been in some areas where they'll acknowledge the indigenous people of the area. I was like, whoa, that was the first that ever happened for me. And it was in a higher education setting. It would be nice for um, local K-12 schools to acknowledge the native lands that they're on. But um, just doing that, we need to go farther too, because two weeks ago I was in a meeting and this is um, outside of my job and I don't know how this fits but um the meeting opened up with um, a land acknowledgement and it was really nice and well crafted and respectful but then the very next speaker came on and started extolling the virtues of land-grant universities and so land-grant universities were basically when native peoples were displaced in order to create universities right so it was kind of like a I don't know if the word's juxtaposition, but it was like, all right, this first, you know, presenter, we want to respect the Indian people. The next presenter, look at this great thing where we remove the Indian people. <laughs> and so it was, it was like a, a lack of understanding of what land granted universities um, did to a lot of communities. And so there's just a lot more awareness that needs to happen. And, um, I was just an observer and um, watching and I don't judge and I don't, I just realize that people need more information. For sure. I, I think that's a, a lot of it is, and hopefully some of what uh, your new role will help with is just like this kind of dissemination of more information, more awareness um, and conversations like this are kind of a great way to uh, start to get at some of that and expose perspectives and histories to people who may otherwise be unfamiliar. We like to end most of our Getting Smart podcast with sort of uh, an opportunity for you to express gratitude to certain people in your life. Um, I, I know there's tons of people to be grateful for. However, uh, in this case, I would love for them to have a particularly linkable name so we can send our listeners on a journey of learning more things through the internet. Uh, so if there's anybody who's really shaped your thinking on a lot of these subjects, we'd love it if you'd shout them out. I would say my dad. Yeah? <laughs> my dad, my uncles, my grandma. But uh, I'm thankful, my family, my wife, Velvet, and um, my sons, you know, just all the support they get. But outside of this personal thanks, I would say, you know, some indigenous scholars that have really um, helped shape my mind. And we've talked about them, like Sweeney Winchief, a Dakota scholar, and Holly Mackey, Northern Cheyenne scholar. Alex Redcorn, he's an Osage scholar, and he does some work on education as nation building. Uh, Matthew Johnson, he's a Pakani educator, and he runs a restorative um, practices and trauma-informed school called the um, Buffalo Hyde Academy in Montana. And there's just a ton of others, you know. And um, and then outside of academia, I'd say look up um, my friend at Indigenous Trail. He spends a lot of his um, time <laughs> highlighting Indigenous trail runners, so he's got a page, and we got our... Um, Trailcast, the Gas Kept Renegades podcast. So 
like to do that stuff. And it's, just, a, it's a great listen. Highly recommend. <laughs> just promote health and wellness and trail running and stuff like that. So uh, if I forgot anybody out there, sorry. You know, Scholar Ethan Chang. And there's a scholar Ethan Chang from Hawaii. He's got some great stuff out there. And we co-wrote um, Dangerous Leadership together. So look at his stuff. That's awesome. Jason, this has been a really great conversation. I hope that there's more in the future. And um, I look forward to digging in on a bunch of these names, links, and helping share them with our audience. Um, so just thanks so much for being here. Thanks for your patience with me as I fumbled through some questions. No, man. Thanks for listening to me um, think out loud on some of this stuff. Some of it's been brewing and some of it um, I finally had to verbalize. So hopefully I wasn't misunderstood and my intentions were good. And if I said anything wrong, you know, hopefully the audience will uh, forgive me and give me some grace. Hey, likewise. So we're in this together. All right, Jason, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much. 